mini-episode 1421 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1421. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And I have with us here today uh, one of our favorite folks for talking football. Uh, it's one of our FDH Lounge dignitaries, the great writer, Friend Stuckberry from our Sports Central. And uh, we always talk in particular college football with him, uh, XFL, whenever it's the time to do that, as it will be again, I believe, in 2022. And uh, we talked over the summer. We did not just our usual college football preview, but we did a second segment prior to that. And that was one where... We went through and we looked at what's been really an earthquake year in college football, and that was before the games were even played this year because of everything with conference realignment, the whole thing with name, image, likeness of where the players are now professionals. That has changed over a century plus of college football. Amateurism is officially dead, and uh, just all the dominoes that were swinging in the uh, world of college football. And then the season started, and uh, we had a lot of topsy-turvy things happening there, and then... Uh, basically bracketing that. Once the regular season was done uh, and uh, most of the teams were uh, uh, just sitting back waiting for bowl games or waiting for next year, as the case may be, the carousel got going again. We knew that it was going to be a very, very uh, interesting one uh, with some plum jobs available, uh, such as Florida and USC, and little did we know that it was going to be such a uh, domino-type deal to where other plum jobs would be coming available uh, as well. Uh, of course, LSU was one of the ones that needed to be filled, but in the course of filling those three aforementioned ones, Notre Dame uh, comes open, uh, as does Oklahoma. Uh, Oregon subsequently comes open in the course of filling the Miami spot. It's just it's a dizzying blur right now. We've got the transfer portal going on, so... We're going to be talking, I think, predominantly the bowl season, but we've got to touch on this off-field stuff as we did the previous segment over the summer here. For that, I reach out and I make the hot tag to my man, Fran Stuckberry. Fran, good to have you back on, my man. How you doing today? Good to be back, Rick. Talking college football, one of my passions. Absolutely. Uh, there's nobody better to do it with than you. And as we're looking at this here, uh, again, uh, you had specifically mentioned uh, the transfer portal. Uh, as well uh, when we're talking off air, as well as the uh, the coaching, uh, this has been a very 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 busy time getting ready for 2022. Uh, not least of which, uh, again, Ohio State, which uh, famously brings in the five star uh, name image likeness kid from Texas. Uh, he leaves after basically playing a couple of downs in the Michigan State game, and that's almost sort of the poster child for the way the transfer portals go in these days. If you don't like one situation, just hop on over and. Take your five-star butt somewhere else. Well, Rick, there's over right now. There's over 800 kids in, in the transfer portal, portal, and that's the name get higher. And 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 now with and, and nil, 
Um, Wayne Kemp made a great comment saying these players are going to go where they get the most money. Yes, I think so. I mean, <laughs> one could be cynical, right, and say that that's always been the case. Now it's just out in the open. But as far as the, looking at the landscape now, it's one of these things where, and, and I can just tell you just from talking to some older fans anecdotally, uh, that previously there used to be a little bit more resentment along the lines like, who do these kids think they are? They're getting a free education. Uh, but with these coaches getting these uh, large eight-figure deals and jumping schools at inopportune times for their old programs, I think there's a lot more sympathy for the kids having their own de facto form of free agency. I find that anecdotally in talking to people. Well, all these coaching changes, look at what's happened with the college football landscape. The coach leaves, and all these recruits decide to um, abandon their commitment and go with him. Yes. And, again, and that seems only fair. It seems only fair that, uh, you know, if a kid is going to a, a school, one would think it's in large part, uh, if not the dominant part, due right to the coach, the, the program, the way that it's being implemented by the coach, uh, maybe there's certain things they like about the institution itself, uh, but if the coach is a predominant part of the decision and the coach goes elsewhere to implement that program in another place, uh, again, depending on what their depth chart looks like, of course, why wouldn't you be interested in following him there? Yeah, I mean, it, makes, it makes total sense. It depends on my situation is where you can play. I mean, I, I think money's secondary with NIL, but I think it's a situation where if you're not going to play, you're going you're gonna to leave. Yes, I believe so. And in looking at the landscape now, uh, again, talked about this, how many destabilizing, earth-shattering things there have been in the year 2021 in college football. Uh, I guess you could say college sports overall, but uh, most notably in college football, because that is by far the biggest revenue generator. And we're in a circumstance here now where we talked about this before the season with Texas and Oklahoma jumping to the SEC from the Big 12 that it's a circumstance of, you know, who's the have-nots have, have in the college game these days. And you looked at it like uh, Oklahoma was one of the haves uh, going to the richest conference. And that didn't last very long because I can't remember a time. This might have happened, but I don't think they've ever been plucked for a head coach before. I'm pretty sure Notre Dame's never been plucked for a head coach before. And it happened essentially on the same day. Uh, you know, you've got Lincoln Riley jetting out the USC You've got Brian Kelly going to LSU, and I tell you, I mean, LSU is a, a decorated program, yes, but they're not on the level historically of Notre Dame. That's the thing that's really got to hurt if you're a Golden Domer these days, is you couldn't keep your coach away from, from LSU and the big money bags that they were waving at him. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, but Lincoln Riley, I don't, I don't blame him to go to USC. It's easy for him to win at USC and then would be to Oklahoma and the SEC. I don't, bl I don't blame him going out there. I mean, the Pac-12 is just, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a dominant conference. He can, and it's, a, it's, the, it's the L.A. market. He can recruit, and, and, and within two years, I think USC can, can be a contender. I think so. And it's interesting, uh, Fran, that I have seen in the Cleveland media, where obviously there is a bunch of year-round coverage of the Ohio State football program, uh, talking about, the ripple effects that this has on the other dominant programs in the country, because programs like Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, uh, Clemson, etc., they've been going into SoCal the last couple of years with UFC being down, and USC, even when they're up, programs are going to try and come in there and recruit, 
but they've been having more success in, in, in pulling guys out of there. Pete Carroll, in his heyday, basically put up a fence, and he kept a lot of the guys in, in the uh, what is one of the richest recruiting areas in the country. He kept a lot of them home. And if Lincoln Riley can do the same, he not only strengthens his own program, uh, he, he weakens a number of the other top programs in doing so because they've been getting fat off of that program uh, you know, having a tough last decade or so. Yeah, definitely, it definitely makes sense for these uh, for Riley to, to to do what he did. Now, um, you know, he's getting paid tons of money. Uh, you know, I mean, look at his salaries, Rick. Let's talk about. I mean, Michigan State. Like he's getting he's getting ninety five million. James Franklin. Yeah. Um, and Penn State's getting seventy five million. And, and, and Penn State's that I don't see Penn State contending to Big Ten. Rick, maybe. Disagree, but do you think Michigan State's going to, you know, win the Big Ten titles and get the playoffs? I don't see that. And that's a thing where, again, I think the situations, Fran, to me, are strikingly similar because Penn State and Michigan State, they were afraid of getting plucked. They were afraid of, and quite frankly, I don't blame them because there aren't a lot of, you know, prime candidates that were out there. You know, there's, there's, there's fatter times and leaner times, right, when there seem to be a whole bunch of candidates ready to step up. And this didn't appear to be one of those years where there was a lot of obvious uh, possibilities. So they, they panicked, I think, to lock in the guys that they had, keep them there. But neither coach has shown, again, Tucker in only two years at Michigan State, one of them the COVID year of 2020. So you can't really judge yet. Uh, but again, it is a thing where to, to be doing that when they either coach, either program has yet to prove that they can be even close to the same level as where Ohio State is right now in terms of their recruiting and everything else like that. That has to be the standard. That has to be the question. Can you get up there? Can you compete year in and year out with Ohio State and take your share of victories from them? Even if it's not 50-50, even if it's like 40-60, 35-65, whatever. I don't have any confidence right now if I'm a Penn State or a Michigan State guy that James Franklin uh, and Mel Tucker can compete on those grounds at this point because of the vast chasm in recruiting between Ohio State and those programs. I don't think they can. Look what happened. He gets a $95 million contract, and then Ohio State murders him. Yeah. Murders him to follow. I mean, come on. Thanks not even try on that contract, and he gets embarrassed and humiliated. Yeah. Yeah, that was not a good look at all, and that's a thing where, and I talk about this in terms of, this is not a good year in terms of obvious candidates to go get somebody to uh, be a replacement at your program. The funny thing is, is that, you know, a, a guy who would appear to be the prototype of one of these candidates any other year was almost too successful for his own good. Luke Fickle, he basically couldn't, there's no way this guy is going to leave behind the chance to coach a team in the college football playoff. Well, let's say Cincinnati had one loss this year, uh, and they weren't going to be in the playoff. Luke Fickle could have been plucked by any of these other schools here. Probably, probably, probably not yes, and that's the thing where going with Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, promoting the defensive coordinator there, that's a very interesting one because, again, you're looking at a first-time head coach uh, at the program, although, again, Oklahoma's doing the same thing, albeit you know pulling uh, Venables from uh, Clemson. But uh, first-time guys heading up those very esteemed programs, that's not what they like to do. They like to get somebody who's on the come-up. Brian Kelly really kind of fit the pattern by being successful previously at Cincinnati, 
Central Michigan. They like you to kind of earn your spurs at programs and kind of work your way up. And the, the fact that Notre Dame uh, had to promote from within, the fact that Oklahoma couldn't get an experienced uh, guy at the uh, at major uh, college football level as a head coach to come in there, uh, at least one that really met their standards. And, uh, yeah, you know, great defensive coordinator, great recruiter, but still to have to do that, that just goes to show you that uh, there weren't a lot of great coaching candidates available. Oregon ends up pulling the defensive coordinator from Georgia to be their new head coach. Uh, that uh, you're, you're looking at programs Three programs right there that if they had their druthers, uh, they'd be getting a guy who was coming off of a successful year at a smaller program, and none of those three programs ended up doing that. They had to get guys who were not the top guys in the successful programs this year. And Rick, and until um, they expand, they expand the playoff field, I don't see Notre Dame having any chance to even get in because they're not because they're not playing a conference championship game. Rick, um, but we're talking about one little Mario Cristobal going from. Uh, Oregon to Miami. I mean, he's getting paid a ton of money. I mean, Miami, Miami's, Miami's acting like the Miami old, spending tons of money and money, money, money. They're buying it. They're buying it. It's contract out Oregon. They're doing all these things. And now it's like, I mean, in a couple, he'll have two or three years. I mean, he doesn't do, um, win. He's going he's gonna to be gone. Well, there are very high expectations there. And that, uh, again, uh, Miami is really stepping up, putting money into that program like they haven't done for quite a long period of time here. So, again, they are expecting, and particularly, uh, again, a very interesting timing with uh, Cristobal going down there, Clemson having an uncharacteristic down year, because the Miami fans right now, they're greedy, they smell blood, and they look at it like, we want our program to be on at least an even keel with Clemson. And that's asking a whole heck of a lot. That's a mouthful right there to expect to be year in and year out because this, to me, looks like it's a one-year taking a knee kind of a deal for Clemson. They're going to be back next year. They're going to be reloading with the recruits that they got coming in. Big programs like this, uh, again, they don't tend to fall off like that. It'll be a little bit more of a challenge, obviously, without uh, Venables there in the recruiting. But by the same token, you're, you're looking at a situation here where uh, you know, Miami is expecting uh, the world from Cristobal. That's a thing where, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if he was going to be, uh, you know, fair about this, he should have stopped in Columbus on the way down there and, uh, you know, bought drinks for the entire Ohio State football team for helping to get him that job because that was a signature win when they thumped Ohio State this year. But uh, we'll have to see if he can live up to the expectations of Miami fan because it's been a long twenty years since their last glory period. Yeah, they, they've, you know, they, they want to be the they want to be the Miami Hurricanes in the eighties, which every Johnson and now it's gonna happen anytime soon. I mean, as far as they're just concerned, uh, they, they tried to get Chip Kelly. Or Chip, there's no way UCLA was gonna let Chip Kelly go. No way, Rick. No well, way exactly. Although the other thing, and I think I'd mentioned this to you in a text, is if UCLA had wondered if Chip Kelly was gonna be able to stand up to a coach the stature of Lincoln Riley. And we'll see. I don't think Chip Kelly's on a very long leash at this point. I mean, that that's the weird kind of thing of this, right? Is that they didn't want to let him go right now, uh, but if it looks like USC is really pulling away from them, it's not going to take UCLA long to want to go in another direction. Of course, as we keep saying here, that's going to put them in the situation of, can you do any better than who you have now? And, and honestly, that's the circumstance where and when we look at this, and we'll be talking a little bit about the uh, college football playoffs subsequently here, 
But the only reason I think that Jim Harbaugh still has a job at Michigan after getting off to an unprecedented poor start in the series against Ohio State is that a year ago, they looked around and they said, okay, who are we going to do any better with? And that's one of these things right now that is kind of enhancing job security in a couple of different places here. For Chip Kelly, we'll see how long the leash is, because if Lincoln Riley walks right in there, starts pulling five-star guys left and right, and starts dominating the Pac-12 like it did, Chip Kelly's going to be in the dustbin. Yeah, he'll definitely, he'll, he'll definitely be gone. I mean, that's the thing. And, and the Pac-12, I mean, they, they're a conference that's, that's begging for playoff expansion to, to improve their chances of being in the playoff. They are. But again, they keep shooting themselves in the foot every time here. You know, like all they had to do was find a way to squeak Oregon through this thing, and nope, it ends up being Utah. I mean, that's the whole thing here is that when it, whenever they do get a big intersectional victory, they always, you know, piss it away by whatever happens in conference here. And uh, you, you've got to have that really good team slip through. It's really the whole uh, mirror kind of a deal of what's going on with the Big 12 over the years, is they haven't been able to get their uh, best program through. It's funny where it seemed like they really blew it this year in the Big 12 championship game with Oklahoma State, but the way that it played out in the end, I don't think Oklahoma State, even had they pulled out that game, I don't think they would have been in the playoff, but people were not expecting uh, Alabama to come in and have a big thumping win over Georgia. It was, it was looking like there might be a spot open once Alabama lost, that never materialized. I don't think Oklahoma State in the end would have jumped Cincinnati even if they pulled it out. I don't, I don't think they would. I don't think they would have either, Rick. Especially with being in such a close game. Yes. Uh, a last second game that's been out. I I, 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 I couldn't see that because I think I think all hell would have. Brought, I mean, people would have gone crazy with the playoff if, if that if that was the case. Cincinnati got left out again. It would have been the ultimate conspiracy theory because the last couple of years. I don't think anybody really could have faulted the way that it went. I mean, you, you've got your UCF homers out there that are saying that they should have been in it the year they were undefeated. But, you know, most years, again, a program like that doesn't have a signature win. The minute that Cincinnati went into South Bend and did what they did, I said at that time, man, if they finish this thing out, if they run the, dis- the slate here, they are going to be in the playoff because they got a signature win over a top 10 team and they did what teams in this situation often aren't able to do, and uh, they are in the playoff. We'll be talking about the playoff and the New uh, New Year's Six games here in a moment. Uh, We have, obviously, a very lengthy uh, slate, occasionally interesting slate uh, leading up to it here. There's a handful of these games that sort of catch my eye a little bit. The one thing, there's always a, a bowl game where you're wondering, out of two very good teams, what the letdown is going to be, who's going to not show up. You've got number 16, Oklahoma, number 14, Oregon, and the Alamo Bowl. Uh, And uh, so uh, one of those teams is is, going to show up with a boo-boo face and probably get run off the field. But uh, there's any number of games that are very interesting. And uh, I pose the question to you every year, uh, Fran. I know there's definitely at least a couple of these ones to catch your eye. Well, I mean, you have, I mean, we're all Oklahoma. You have the interim coaches, but I think is I give Oklahoma the edge of that game because it's Bob Stoops. I think the players yes. are going to want to are going to want to put you know win a game for Bob Stoops because he won a lot of the games in Oklahoma. So agreed. Uh, another interesting game is um, Iowa State and Clemson. I think Clemson is going to want to play tough just from the standpoint they're, they're going to want to sh- you know you know um, get things going and roll up for the following season, Rick. 
Um, you have a couple rivalry games. You have UCF and Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl. You uh, see, I mean, Florida has interim coach. I think Florida's going to win that game, but UCF's going to, you know, they they may want to, they may be motivated to play and to and to want to be Florida because they're going to be playing Florida if you schedule down the road. So yes. and then you have it, and then you have in my neck of the woods in Charlotte, the, your favorite bowl, the Mayo Bowl, the Mayo Bowl, <laughs> North Carolina, South Carolina. And Sam Howell's playing. You want to know why? Because uh, he was supposed to do like nine, ten games and, and complete and, and compete with, with Clemson for the AC championship. So I mean, you might as well play a game instead of sitting out, Rick. Yeah, might as well. That's going to be an interesting one. Uh, yeah, you, you you say that, but uh, mayonnaise is actually one of the things I find most disgusting in this world, right alongside mustard, but uh, we all have our own <laughs> preferences on things. Uh, the day of December 29th in particular looks like it's going to be really interesting, as we've talked about three of the games from that day already. The Alamo Bowl, uh, the game you were referencing, the Cheez-It Bowl with Clemson and Iowa State, which uh, low-key, that's one where when you look at it, it, it you know, it, both teams are really very disappointing because Clemson at 9-3 and three is almost unthinkable. But Iowa State at 7-5 and five with the kind of year that they were expected to have, top 15 in many of the polls out there. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a, a game where if you'd have said at the beginning of the year Clemson is going to be playing Iowa State, you just assume it would have been a New Year's Six Bowl. But nope, it's the Cheez-It Bowl from Orlando, Florida on December 29th. Yeah, and, 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 and I'll, be, I'll, be some, I'll, be, I'll be watching all these games, or at least parts of these games. A, a, a good group of five game to watch is the Frisco Bowl. Um, it's, it's Texas San Antonio and San Diego State. That should be a fun, entertaining game to play. The San Diego State had a lot of COVID issues when in the loss against Utah State, so hopefully they're COVID-free. They'll be COVID-free in a few weeks, and uh, they'll be able to have a full team there. But uh, the bowl season... I like it because, you know, we have games to watch during the day. I mean, ESPN likes it because they get much higher ratings than anything else they had on during the day with these bowl games. Plus, there's a gambling aspect. Plus, there's that bowl mania. That some passionate that college football fans are are, are, gonna be, are doing these games with confidence points or against spread or just straight-up wins. So, it's it's a... It's a frenzy of games and uh, activity, and you know, and it's it's nice. It gives us a nice, you know, December to, to remember. It does, and uh, there, there's a couple of these ones. Inevitably, you get into bowl season, and in order to stand out, some of these bowls go for gimmicks. So on uh, New Year's Eve, uh, at the at Arizona Stadium in Tucson, the Arizona Bowl, sponsored by Barstool Sports, they'll be. Uh, showing that on their app, probably shooting it on a freaking iPad or something for all the benefit of all the barstool bro, uh, bros out there. So you've, you've got that. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel has uh, managed to slap his name on a bowl. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl uh, from the uh, new SoFi Stadium in, uh, in the L.A. area, Utah State and Oregon State. Uh, a, a game that probably wouldn't have merited an ABC primetime game were it not for the fact that they could uh, you know, use the Jimmy Kimmel name, but they are able to. So, uh, you know, there's just different gimmicks here as we go along uh, that, that bowls like to use to stand out with things. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a fun, it's a fun, it's a fun time of the year. I, I mean, like I say, these kids, they, you know, I mean, they get they get bowl sweat, they get to a destination, they get, you know, and, and it was like 90, 95 percent of these kids. This is the last um, seniors. This is the last 
game they're playing professionally. Yes, that's true, and uh, it, it, it is a special experience for uh, those players. That, and again, you know, very, very solemn thing to think of that, uh, you know, it's the last big-time competitive game uh, that the vast majority of these seniors are going to play, unless they're going on uh, to the NFL, the XFL, the CFL, anything else like that. Uh, and a lot of these guys know that they aren't uh, doing that. Uh, then this is going to be it for them. And uh, again, always uh, some interesting ones. I, I have some personal favorites over the years uh, that I like to see uh, here and there. W- one of them is, in, in me being an old school kind of a guy, is uh, I, I've always enjoyed on uh, New Year's Eve the Sun Bowl uh, on the afternoon on uh, CBS. Uh, it's uh, Washington State, Miami this year. It, it's kind now of it's a, Tony, now it's the Tony the Tiger Bowl. Is that even better? It, Tony the Tiger Bowl. Okay, and uh, it's uh, they're, they're playing it at uh, at noon, I believe, Eastern Time. So it's one of these things where I think in past years they've started at two thirty, and it's one of these deals where it's like by the end of the game. The sun is setting in El Paso, and it's sort of symbolic that it's the end of the year, almost, you know, when it's the end of the game. So uh, they moved it up, I think, to stay out of the path of the college football playoff, which uh, kicks off with a doubleheader later that Friday afternoon. But uh, in in, in turning to these games here, um, the way that it panned out, you kind of knew that this was going to be the early game. It ends up being the Cotton Bowl. Uh, now, again, a couple of years ago in the Cotton Bowl, uh, I believe it was 2015, when it was the national semifinals, Alabama just thumped Michigan State. So the last time you had a team uh, that came in really from uh, the outside, if you will, in terms of the top contenders, uh, what's, the, what's the connection here? Mark D'Antonio, one-time coach at Cincinnati, coached uh, at uh, Michigan State that year. But Mark D'Antonio's old program, Cincinnati, in that 1-4 matchup, uh, that'll be taking place uh, late afternoon uh, from AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Jerry World. And uh, this is one where I think a lot of people out there, particularly after the SEC championship game, uh, are, are just wondering if Cincinnati is going to be able to keep it close and make it a game, uh, especially the way that Alabama kind of reasserted itself against Georgia when they were expected to lose there. I think Alabama's going to win solidly. But I color me shocked if this is a repeat of the thumping that Alabama put on Michigan State. I don't. Th- I don't see that happening again. I think it might be a little bit closer. I mean, the points spread is pretty. Fourteen points is a lot. That's a lot of points. With the, with the, as far as um, from, from, from a points perspective, yes. I, I, I think Cincinnati will, will keep it tough for the, for, 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 the, for for one half. Then the second half, I see Alabama going full throttle on them. Exactly. And the funny thing is, if I remember correctly, 2015, that was also New Year's Eve. And that was the thing that basically killed it. I don't think they've played on New Year's Eve since then, because that's when they started moving it to the Saturday before January 1st. And uh, this year, they just decided to do it uh, with uh, with New Year's being on a uh, Saturday. I think they just decided there's a little bit less harm to doing it uh, on a Friday, it may not kill the ratings as much because more people might be off on that Friday afternoon. A lot of people are maybe only working half a day if New Year's is a Friday. And it's one of these things, too. Notice that, again, they put Alabama in the early game uh, this time around. It was what really killed the ratings that time was that was the late game. Alabama just beat the crap out of them, and the ratings just went in the toilet. And like I said, pretty much it never recovered from there. I'm pretty sure this is their first time back on New Year's Eve since then, 
the uh, the, the nightcap uh, really, really should be a rollicking one. Uh, from Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens to the Orange Bowl, it's number two Michigan, number three Georgia. Uh, again, uh, the the surprise in the way that uh, Michigan came in and really handed it to Ohio State this year. By the way, people say first time Michigan beat Ohio State since 2011, and that's true. But if you want to put a little asterisk on it, first time Michigan beat a full-time Ohio State head coach since 2003. Luke Fickle was the interim coach in 2011. Uh, so first time in 18 years they beat a full-time Ohio State head coach. But it was an impressive game uh, for Georgia. It was just the opposite in the SEC championship game. Uh, almost a wire-to-wire number one team in the country this year, coming in and letting up that uh, ironclad defense, just getting smoked by Alabama. Uh, I think Georgia in this game, I think it's going to be a bounce back for them. And uh, Kirby Smart at least has made uh, the playoff previously, and when he did, he made it to the national championship game. Harbaugh still has uh, issues, at least at the college level, in big games, albeit in the pro level, he made it to the Super Bowl and almost won. But I lean towards Georgia in this one. I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you, Rick. I only towards Georgia. The only thing that could be a bit of a distraction is the defensive coordinator um, uh, now being the head coach of Oregon. Yes, splitting, splitting his, you know, recruiting. It could be a little bit of a distraction. And plus, Alabama exposed them in, the, in that SC championship game. So, I'm going to shock me if it's like some of the heavy hitters and gamblers are are, are, are bad Michigan in this game. Yeah, I think so part. too. And that has to be taken into consideration. That said, you, you get these staffs like Alabama and Georgia, the, the, the big money programs with the deep budgets, uh, where, again, uh, I don't know what the game plan is going to be necessarily with uh, who they've uh, determined is going to be doing the play calling in this game, uh, if there are to be any changes made. But uh, for Georgia, continuity should be less of an issue than it would be with other programs. Continuity is never an issue at Alabama, right? Nick Saban keeps losing guys and gaining guys and losing guys and gaining guys and maintains continuity, even when he's making a choice. I think one of these years, I think it wasn't Lane Kiffin leaving uh, right about uh, playoff time, and they managed to have continuity anyways. So it will be a challenge. I would think that Georgia could handle it. Uh, But uh, again, if you and I end up uh, estimating right on this, then uh, January 10th in the national championship game, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, a great place to watch a game. I have been there. It's a very impressive facility. The national championship, it would be a rematch from the uh, 2018 season between uh, Alabama and Georgia. And uh, again, it should be very, very, uh, actually it was uh, January of 2018, I believe, so the 2017 season. They have played in uh, Atlanta where uh, so many of the uh, the clashes have come between them in SEC championship games. This time the neutral ground of Indianapolis. And I think if Georgia can get past the distractions in, in the Michigan game here that you're talking about with the defensive coordinator, I think if they can do that, I think the motivation carries them over the finish line and they finally get that signature win over Alabama. So I'll, I'll say Georgia Bulldogs if they can make it there, and I think they will. Well, also, a couple of years ago, these teams played in the national championship, and uh, that two-way ta- uh, tackle uh, yes. with Leoba came off the bench and, and threw a bomb. And uh, I'm going to lean towards Alabama here. I just, I mean, 
every time you want them out, they're like, you know, England Patriots, like, we can't get rid of them. That's right. That's right. Every time you want Nick Saban and Bill Bellows and people, every time we think they're, they're dead in the water, you know, they, they're still alive. The cockroach you can't kill. That is absolutely right. Wonderful memory, Fran. That's actually the game I was referencing. Yes, sir, from the 2017 season in January of 2018. I remember I got a T-shirt from my uh, brother's family. They lived out in the area there. They got me one for when the national championship was there. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very interesting. At a certain point in time, right, Saban's getting older. Again, he's sort of withstood the challenges here. He's still been at the top of the mountain. But again, you look 10 years down the road, Alabama's not going to be where they are. And I think the likeliest team to probably pick up the slack and replace them is Georgia because Kirby Smart, uh, being the guy who you know was the chief recruiter underneath him at the time, uh, he's really rebuilt the Georgia program in the image of what Saban did at Alabama. I mean, I think, I think Kirby is, is, is the guy to sort of take the baton from Nick Saban and maybe be the next number one guy in the sport. And again, I think it's going to start here. Uh, even though Alabama's clearly not done, they're going to be back the next couple of years in this. But uh, that should be fun to watch it play out. Well, well Rick, I mean, I mean, I mean uh, hopefully it does happen because people will be happy. But I wonder from a range standpoint, are people going to really care about two SEC teams in the national championship? I mean, or, I mean, RG3, he's pulling big time. During the Bowles shows, he was pulling big time from Michigan. They pick Michigan to beat, to beat Georgia. Do people, does a casual football fan really want to see two SEC teams play in the national championship? Well, that's the thing, Fran, and I think you're absolutely right about that. I think the ratings would be much higher if it was Michigan-Alabama because, uh, again, the Ohio State-Michigan game did monster numbers on Fox, as did Michigan-Michigan State. And the whole thing here, too, of the fact that Michigan the last couple of years, uh, well, really beyond that, I mean, when has Michigan won the big one, even under previous coaches? It's been quite a long period of time, so... Michigan being a program that's trying to claw their way back. Are they finally getting there? They've been a team that's been close, but no cigar. Close, but no cigar. That team against Alabama in the national championship game, I think that would be monster ratings. That said, I do think that uh, if it's Georgia, also seen as a behemoth, if it's Georgia against, and I don't think this is going to happen, Cincinnati, I think that'd be a great number also. Cincinnati in the national championship game? Talk about the ultimate Cinderella story. Those always play out well in March Madness ratings-wise. I don't know that Michigan-Cincinnati would be as big of a number, but if it's Georgia, if it's the team that, like I said, was number one most of the season against Cincinnati, I think that might do better than Georgia-Alabama also. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with you. Uh, I, I, um, the range will be through the roof. Um, yeah. And the Rays be through. The Rays be. There's even more fresh blood in the playoffs. We didn't have to deal. We thought Alabama, a couple weeks ago we thought Alabama was going to go. We don't have Clemson. We don't have Ohio State. We thought Bama was on their on life support. And then they pulled out Rick. Right. And uh, you, you've got a couple of the programs that uh, were potentially in the mix for this thing until relatively late in the season, until at least mid November. Uh, they are in some of the other. New Year's Six Bowl games, the uh, alleged major ones here. Uh, you've got the Peach Bowl, number 10 Michigan State versus number 12 
Pitt. You've got the Fiesta Bowl, number five, uh, Notre Dame versus number nine, Oklahoma State. That should be pretty interesting, uh, as well as the Rose Bowl, number 11, Utah, number six, Ohio State, and the Sugar Bowl, number seven, Baylor, number eight, Ole Miss. Uh, that one retaining the tie-ins between the uh, SEC and the Big 12. And uh, so, again, looking at this picture here, uh, you know, then it wasn't a year where you had to say, okay, where's the where's the team from the uh, the mid-majors going to be playing? Well, they're in the playoffs, so you don't have to wedge them into one of the other games, uh, which actually makes uh, all the other games, these all look like they're going to be pretty close and competitive games to me, and I don't know if I buy it that the stakes are that much higher than they are most of the other bowl games here, but uh, they're going to be very, very interesting for me to watch. Well, the game that makes me most intrigued with Ole Miss and Baylor, you have a, you have a, um, uh, an, an Ole Miss or a high-power offense against a Baylor style defense. Uh, Dave Miranda, who um, guy you know, always he was mentioned always coaching vacancies, but he's staying at Baylor, so and, right. and, and it's and it's great for them because with Oklahoma and Texas leaving. They could be the they could be the team the top team in the in the in the Big Twelve even when even when Cincinnati Central Florida and BYU um, uh, used to come in. That's very possible, definitely. And uh, yeah, looking at this here, it, it's going to be uh, again the 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 slate of uh, New Year's Six games. I think top to bottom looks better to me than in most years. Uh, and generally, there's at least one or two games that I'm not as impressed with. But looking at the full slate of them here, it looks like they've done pretty well with the matchups. So, uh, any other uh, thoughts on, on the bowl season here, on or off field? What do you think about your Tennessee team, Rick? I mean, uh, they always do good bowl games. Yeah. They play good bowl games. What do you think about, about Tennessee? I'm going to be watching that with great interest. Uh, they're going to be playing close to home uh, in uh, Nashville, and I, I'm going to be very uh, interested to see how they play, I, I think that there's there's some def, there's there's really really something to prove there because they had some up moments during the season, some down moments, and uh, again, this Eastern Division isn't going to be getting any easier anytime soon. And uh, I think there's a lot to prove. And uh, Purdue uh, is is a relatively tough matchup for them in the Music City Bowl, December thirtieth. Uh, but uh, again, I expect Tennessee to uh, to go out there, uh, and uh, as a fan, I like to see them uh, win it here. I don't think the I don't think that's asking too much for them to be able to go in and beat Purdue if they're on their way to reestablishing themselves as a top program. Um, I agree with you. Looking at I'm, I'm excited to watch East Carolina play in a bowl game. They haven't been in a bowl game so forever. I mean, against BC in the military bowl, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a fun game to watch. Um, seeing East Carolina. Well, you know, I mean, they turn the program to turn around, and they're they um they're finally some games not supposed to win. Uh, also, we have to take take a look at the military academy. Seeing Army play in, in the bowl game against Missouri, and we have Air Force. So they're always those 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 teams are always fun to watch. Absolutely, and I know from our uh, football segment we did last week, I know that FDH lounge dignitary Derek Joseph is very aggrieved about what happened to his uh, Army team. Uh, this past week here in the Army Navy game, and uh, you know certainly that program is going to be looking for some payback. And when we're just talking about just fun bowls to watch, one of the ones that's always been for me over a period of time, and if I remember correctly, uh, I don't think it took place last year. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, it's uh, not a great matchup. It, that's what I thought because it, it, it's basically the Christmas Eve tradition here. 
Uh, and, and again, and one other, another tradition is that the game is never generally that great of a matchup, uh, as is the case here. The 6-7 six and seven Hawaii Rainbow Warriors against 6-6 six and six Memphis. But uh, again, it's just it, it's a fun setting to watch a game in. I miss when the Pro Bowl was there on a regular basis. It's just fun to, to, to see the sights of Hawaii there. And uh, so, you know, that's that's always a fun one to watch. Uh, uh, it'll be fun. It's fun that they add another bowl game. I think the only reason why they added another bowl game is just so Hawaii can have a bowl game at home. It's why is the only team in this bowl season that has a losing record? Yes. So probably the only reason they added another bowl game because, I mean, I guess, I mean, some, some, they had to have every single team – team, um, which is fine, but, but, but Hawaii's the only team with a losing record in, in both seasons. Exactly. And uh, by the way, I mean, as far as uh, two very, very, very competitive teams, uh, we, we talked about a previous game uh, that is going to be taking place in uh, uh, Orlando when we referenced uh, the Cheez-It Bowl of Clemson and Iowa State. Let's not sleep on the other team from the Hawkeye State here. The Hawkeyes themselves, number 15 Iowa against number 22 Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl on ABC January 1st uh, in the afternoon leading into the Rose Bowl and uh, the Sugar Bowl. That's going to be an interesting matchup as well. Mark Stoops is somebody that I expected to be up for a couple of the uh, the bigger jobs out there, potentially even Oklahoma where there are the obvious tie-ins. So... Uh, yeah, again, uh, if he can build towards another strong year at Kentucky, he should really be a guy getting a sniff on some of the big jobs next year. Definitely. And, and also, uh, one thing we should talk about is Celebration Bowl. Jackson State, uh, Deion Sanders. Do you ever see Deion Sanders ever moving up to FES job? Absolutely. The way that things are going there, yeah. I, I don't uh, see any reason that that wouldn't be the case. And, uh, yeah, that showcase game, uh, in, in what should be a very winnable game against the six and five South Carolina State Bulldogs, uh, yes, that could be maybe uh, another part of the launch uh, that he would have towards a bigger job. Yeah, I mean, that, and, and, cause I, I can see because he's already he's SES Coach of the Year. Uh, I, mean, I, I can see because he was literally one of the guys for possibly for the TCU job. Just from a name standpoint, I mean, I mean, if we are seeing. You know, bombs. He might. They might. He might. They may. They, they may back up the, the, the coach team a couple years. Very possibly. You never know. But uh, there's obviously a lot of great uh, bowls, and again, a lot of great, uh, as they say in the baseball world, hot stove league stuff with all the off-field things. Uh, always a very intriguing time of year, and uh, never anybody better to break it down with than you, friend Stuckberry. Uh, our good friend from our Sports Central. Thank you so much for making yourself available to us here today. Thanks, Frank. Everyone, enjoy the bowl season. What are you going to watch? Soap operas or Jerry Springer? No, you have bowl games to watch. Enjoy it. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, soap operas by and large are a thing of the path. I think we're down to like four of them now anyway. So, yeah, might as well watch the bowls. And uh, they're going to be very, very good. I think, again, better even uh, than usual across the board this year for whatever reason. So, very, very much so. Thanks very much, Fran, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1421.